0: I just want to begin this morning in a series that uh, is there going to be a short series that we're going to do in the month of January. It may bleed over into the first week of February, um, but it's really flowing out of something that I've observed in myself. And then I concluded, if this is true of me in this particular case, then maybe this is something that is true of you. and maybe something that you're navigating yourself. And by the way, I don't normally do that. I know that I'm a little bit unusual, and I don't always assume that what I'm navigating, you're navigating. But in this particular case... I just found myself wondering, maybe if I'm here, maybe you're here. And so we're going to take some time over the next couple of weeks to talk about this topic, but let me just explain where this whole thing sort of begins for me. And it really begins with a habit that I'm sure many of you have. Uh, I have a habit uh, at the beginning of a new year um, to do... What a lot of people do, and that's approach this season with a sense of newness or a sense of freshness. I know there's no significance to this day that just turns over; it's one day versus another. But, but for me, there's always been something about a new year that just feels fresh. There's always something that's that's new about this time of year that makes me kind of look at like, hey, maybe maybe in the months to come, there are certain things that I could change, or certain things that could be different because of this. And so I always sort of look at it as like the hard reset. Uh, those of us that are old enough. We remember Control-Alt-Delete. Um, this is kind of that thing for me where it's this time of year I can sort of reset my life and think about a few things. And, and so usually what I do is I consider the past year. I go back and I think about the stuff that went on uh, in the months preceding. And then I start thinking about the year to come. And I just think about where do we want to go? Like what happened? And then what would I like to see happen? And primarily I'm thinking about my own personal life. And so this, this journey usually begins with my journal. And so this week uh, I did this. I sat with my journal on my lap. And I flipped through the pages, and I went through the past. I went through the past year, and I was just looking at some of the reflections, looking at some of the prayers. Um, I was just recalling certain moments with the Lord, things I was stressed about, anxious about, things that I was hoping God would show me or do. And even looking at conversations that were recorded, and important people that I was talking to or things that were taking place. In fact, Friday, uh, I was having coffee with Pastor Randy. We were talking about this, and I was bringing up with him. I said, you know, it's fun to go back in my journal and see things I was writing about our dialogue, our conversation in the process of my transition, it was fun to look back now with some hindsight and get some context for things you were sharing with me. So, so I do that sort of thing. I just look at the year behind. And, and then um, I just began to look at the, at the future and say, okay, what needs to shift? What needs to change? And, and I'll make a list, some of the big ideas. You know, I kind of look at the big categories of, of my own personal life, the roles I play, and I think, okay, what were the nuances of things I'd like to see different in the days ahead? And so Um, So I did that this week. I got my coffee, started jotting things down. And then I did something I don't normally do, and it stung a little bit. And I'm glad I did it because of what it revealed to me. But for some reason, after I made my list, I went back and I found the list that I made at the beginning of last year. And as I read over that list that I made last year for 2019, There before me was almost verbatim every single item that I wrote down for 2020, which means what? 2019 was a loss, right? I mean... I just was like, wow, you know, I am mean, looking at this list, I'm thinking, was it just a wash? Like, we're just like right back where we started I, When I hit the reset button, I didn't realize I was just going to reset and take no ground at all, right? And so that sort of caused me to do some deeper evaluation. When I saw that, my, soul, my, my, my heart just kind of sunk a little bit, you know, and I thought, okay, what's going on? I started evaluating my marriage, and I, I, I just was thinking about moments that I missed with Sherry this, this year. I thought about um, conversations we had or situations that could have gone differently and, uh, and I just, you know, there's just stuff I was like, man, I wish that would have been different. I started thinking about my girls, um, my son-in-law, and I thought about moments when I probably could have invested a little more deeply, maybe been more intentional as a dad, as a spiritual leader in our home. Uh, and I just, I just had some regret about those things. I thought about um, other things. I thought about habits that I wanted to change, things that I wanted to grow in that I actually think I shrunk in. And then there were some things I wanted to shrink, like my belly, that actually grew in. Um, not kidding. I set a, a weight goal. Uh, for, for 2019, I literally, in July, I hit the weight that I was shooting for. Today, I stand on the stage before you weighing exactly what I weighed in January of 2019. <laughs> and I just, boop, boop, right back to where I was, like the hard reset, everything over. And, and, and so I was, I was looking at all this, and, I, and I, I just began to ask myself, well, why? You know, like, what's going on? Because I, I I'll just say this. That, this has happened a little bit before, but never where wholesale, every category, I just looked at my life and went, did I take any ground? In 2019. And so I just started asking, like, okay, so what's going on? You know, what's, what's the thing that's behind this? Is there something that's, that's more than just my disciplines or my, my practices? Is there something deeper that's going on here? And eventually, as I was thinking about this, and by the way, I, yeah, I've had a crazy year. I'm sure people could say, oh no, but you know, you had a transition and you moved and all these different things. But I knew as I was looking at this, there was something more. And so, I was sitting with my journal, and I wrote this, and I'm just going to share with you what I wrote in my journal this week. I just said, as I sit here and write, I'm keenly aware that what needs to shift in me is the condition of my soul. As I look back, all of my goals are some form of behavior modification. But the real changes I want to see are those things that will flow from a soul that is healthy, a soul that's at rest, a soul that is deeply connected to the one who created me. It all starts with the soul. So we find ourselves in this moment, in this beginning of a year, and And we're naturally postured to consider all the various aspects of our life. We start thinking about our relationships, and we think about our work, and and how we're working, and where we're working. We think about our exercise routines, and all the things we consume or don't consume. And, And there's something about this time of year that causes us to evaluate, but I want us to take some time this morning, and before you get too far trying to fulfill, or maybe you've already broken all your resolutions, before we get too far down that road, I want us to just lean in, and I want us to listen to something that I believe Jesus is speaking to us in this moment moment. Um, Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples, and it takes place in Matthew chapter 16. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there. Uh, Sometimes it's good just to look at it on the page in front of you, and so I encourage that. Um, But in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is having this conversation with his disciples about the cost of discipleship he's talking to them about what it really means to follow Jesus, about the, the, the reality that there are commitments that are made and there is a dedication that's required in this. And so in the context of this conversation of what it looks like to follow him, Jesus says something to his disciples that unpacks what's going on inside of us. And let me just say, he uses a phrase that for years I just sort of glossed past this, I misunderstood it, I didn't look at it in the context, I would hear Jesus say this and I'd go, well I think that sort of means this, and then I would move past it. But if you look at it in context, I think it actually is addressing something deeper that's going on inside of us that I think we need to hear at the beginning of a new fresh year like this one. So just listen with me as, as he says this. In verse 26 of Matthew 16, Jesus says, What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? So, so there's a way I used to understand this. It used to be like this. It used to be like I heard Jesus saying, okay, listen, you can, you can chase wealth, <laughs> You can chase fine things. You can chase houses and cars. You can chase pleasure and sensuality. You can do all those things and you can live a life that's dedicated to that. But at the end of your days, if you end up in hell and that's all you had, well, what good is it? And that's sort of how I looked at this. Like I looked at this as if Jesus is describing a destination and he's talking about, oh, you can, you can pursue these things in your life, but you're gonna end up here and then it's not gonna matter and it's all about this destination. But if you stop and you listen to what Jesus is saying, and you see the context of the conversation, you understand the culture that he's interacting with, you realize that Jesus is less talking about a destination, and what he's really doing is diagnosing the human condition. He's actually describing how most human beings live their lives. Jesus is saying to them, he's saying, listen, most people live disconnected from God. He's describing a life that is out of sync with the rhythm that God intended for us. He's describing a life that's out of sync than what our creator said, this is how a human being is supposed to live with me and with others. That's what he's describing here. So so, so he's even even diagnosing and saying, there's this thing inside of us that says, oh, I want to be a better dad, I want to lose some weight, I want to make more money, I want to save a little more, let's pay off some debts, let's do those things. All that stuff that sort of drives that behavior, he's saying, no, 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 there's something underneath that. There's something beneath this, and there's something that you need to address. And so he says, what, what good would it do if you did all those things? What good would it be if you, if you saved all sorts of money and you paid off your house, and you, were, you went on a date with your wife every single week, and you were the most invested? What good would it do if you did all that? You had all the technology, you had all the money, you had all the fun, you had all the pleasure, all those things, but you didn't have your soul. What good would it do? What Jesus is bringing to bear is a hollowness that exists inside of human beings. He just pulls back the curtain and says, this is where we live. We live in this place where there's an emptiness. And when you're feeling that emptiness, and by the way, that emptiness, that hollowness is an equal opportunity offender. It affects people who say they're followers of Jesus and people who deny Jesus equally. There is this tendency for human beings to feel empty, We may not have words to describe it, but we feel it. We feel this void, like there's something wrong, there's something off, there's something missing. There's this rhythm that's supposed to be a part of our lives, but it's not there. Sort of like music. Um, You can understand instruments, you can understand the materials that they're made of, you can understand the way those materials create various tones, you can understand the mathematical realities of what makes an instrument do what it does, you can understand and read music, you can see the notes on a page, you can understand how long they last and the octave that they're in, you can read those things, but unless you actually pick up an instrument and you follow the music and you begin to play, you will talk about it, you will know about it, but you'll never actually make anything beautiful. And what Jesus is describing in Matthew chapter 16 is this. He's saying, listen, you can have a life. You can talk about life. You can talk about all the stuff of life. You can pursue all the things of life. You can have knowledge about life. You can even talk about spirituality and all these different things. But unless you actually engage it, your life will never make the beautiful music that it was intended to make. You'll never be what God intended you to be. And so he says, what good would it do? What good would it do if you knew all the stuff, but you never made the music with your life? So, so, Jesus is just helping us see the madness in this. And, and as I read that verse, let me just say this. It's like I can hear him saying, Brad, and maybe he's saying this to you. You know something's off. You know something is off. You know things aren't what they could be. You know things maybe aren't what they should be. Maybe they aren't what they used to be. You know something's off. What will you do about it? How will you resolve it? I'm going to work out six times a week. I'm going to reduce my calorie intake. We're going to save X percentage of our income every month. I'm going to go on a date every single Friday with my wife, whether she wants to or not. (laughs) No, right? You can check all those things off the list. Is that going to solve the ache? Is that going to solve that deeper thing? You can check all the boxes, but Jesus says when you do, literally his words are, what good is it if you did all the stuff, but your soul Your soul was disconnected. Your soul was fragmented from all of it. What good would it do if your soul wasn't there? The answer to that question, we all know, it wouldn't do any good. It wouldn't do any good. So we come to this new year and we go, maybe this is the year when all the stars align and everything comes together. Well, maybe if we actually lean in and listen to what Jesus is saying. Because we live in a fragmented world. We live in a world that is disconnected from the heart of what Jesus is talking about here. And here's what's interesting about the soul. All of our hopes and all of our dreams and all of our desires and all of our plans for these things that we would like to see in our lives, all of those things are strung together with this one thread, this one theme, and that is this thing that he references in Matthew 16, our soul. It's at the center of all of it. And yet, simultaneously, we are unbelievably disconnected from our souls. In fact, um, Christians, when they are asked in surveys to unpack the meaning of the soul, like when people ask them, hey, tell me what the soul is, most Christians can't describe it. Did you know this? We don't have language for it. We don't understand it. We sort of know it's there, but we can't really articulate something meaningful about it, much less than if you can't describe it, how do you nurture it? How do you care for your soul if you can't even wrap your mind around what it is? How do you assess its condition if you don't really understand it? So we have this thing going on inside of us that's related to a specific part of us. And we need to know more about it. The very good news is if we were to give a numerical value to the intensity with which you and I are pursuing the resolution of the ache or the hollowness in our hearts whether we do that consciously by pursuing God or whether subconsciously through other things, if we were to give that a numerical value, on the other side of that equation, there is another numerical value that represents God's desire to solve this in us and it is exponentially higher than whatever you and I feel. God aches to solve this inside of us. God aches for us to feel and experience wholeness and for us to live the life in the rhythm that he intended us for. In fact, if, if you go all the way back, there's a Psalm, uh, Psalm 23. You see the heart of God. You see who he is and what he does in the Psalms. And I just want you to listen to this and let these words just sort of rest on you right now. Psalm chapter 23, verse 1. Some of you may have heard this one before. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. I lack nothing. There's nothing By the way, most of us, we we hear these words at memorial services when ironically they have more to do with life than they do with death. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. God leads me by quiet waters and God restores my soul. That word that gets translated refreshes in this version, restores in other versions, it's the Hebrew word shuv, S-H-U-V in in our vocabulary. It literally means to return or to renew. Uh, It means to take something that was getting stale and make it fresh again. Uh, to take something that's worn out and and renew it. It It's like restoring a piece of old furniture. It's like, um, I don't know, like plastic surgery, maybe. I don't know. It's like this idea that there's something that looks old and tired, and then suddenly it doesn't look old and tired again, except unlike plastic surgery, it's real. Uh, it's, It's this idea that something that looked worn out suddenly looks fresh again to shove. The Lord shoves my soul. There's this refreshing, there's this renewing, there's this restoring work that's taking place. What's interesting is this word shuv, this refresh, is connected to the word repent. The Hebrew word for repent is the word teshuvah, and teshuvah literally means to turn around and, and go back. It's like, uh, it's like an image of someone going home, going back to the way things used to be. Teshuvah is going back to the wholeness Shuvah is this refreshing that's taking place. The Lord shuvahs my soul. The Lord refreshes. He returns it. He takes it back. The Lord says, I see you in your tiredness and you're worn out. And I take your soul and I bring it to that place that it's intended to be. That's what the Lord does. Now, the the word soul is a really interesting word. Because there, there are several words used in the Bible to describe the various uh, aspects of what it means to be a human being. The, 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 the nature of humanity is described with terms. For example, in the Hebrew language, the physical body is, is the word basar, and in the Greek language, it's the word sarks. They're used all over in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And when you hear basar and you hear sarks, those two words are describing flesh. They're describing things like the fingernails and like the skin. They're describing like your hair. So basar and sarks is the physical makeup of a person. Um, they also include desire. Uh, it, it, it includes um, your strength. It includes your weakness. And so there's this part of a human being that's, that's described in the Bible with these words that there is a there's a physical, there's a body, there is this flesh part of who you are. There is the basar and there is the sarks. These words are used over and over again. Then there's two other words that get used to describe human beings and our makeup. And the other words are the words ruach and the word pneuma. Ruach is the Hebrew word, pneuma is the Greek word, and both of those describe the spirit. And so in describing the human body, the Bible says, yes, there is is the basar, the sarks, there's the physical, but then there is the ruach, there is the pneuma, there is the spirit. In fact, when you read Genesis, there's this moment where God breathes the ruach into the adama. Adama is the Hebrew word for dirt, and the Adama becomes Adam, becomes Adam. The dirt becomes dirt man, if you will. Sorry for those of you named Adam in the room, but your name means dirt man. Because the Ruach is breathed in, the spirit is breathed into the dirt, and the dirt is animated. So the spirit is this thing that animates us. The sarks, The basar, there's no animation without the spirit. The spirit is what gives us life, right? The spirit's what makes us who we are. There's this. And so we have these two dynamics, but then there is a third word that is used consistently over and over again. No one ever talks about it. There's these two words, one in Hebrew, one in Greek, the word nephesh and the word psyche. Those words are translated Soul. Soul. You have Basar, you have the physical makeup of who you are. You have the spirit, the Ruach, and then you have the Nefesh. You have the soul. The Bible intentionally distinguishes between all three of those things. The question I ask myself is, do I? Do I understand that the soul is something distinct? Because this word is describing something that is beyond my body, and this word is describing something that is beyond my spirit. This word is describing something else that defines what it means to be a human being. You have a soul. You are body, you are spirit, and you are soul. And what's interesting about this is that most people in most places, and most cultures, speaking most languages, have some sort of vague acknowledgement that this is true. We know, yes, there is something more. We know there's like a soul kind of thing. Even now, if I just gave you a few moments to think about it, you'd go, yeah, actually, you're right. There is this sort of ambiguous thing I can't describe that isn't my spirit and it isn't my body. It's something else. Like years ago, uh, I, I, a friend of mine and I were talking, he told me about something that he watched And I knew the nature of it. And I just said, man, can I just ask you, how did you feel after you watched it? And he said, it it scarred my soul. Isn't that an interesting phrase? You watch something. And it doesn't scar your body. It doesn't scar your spirit. It scars your soul. That seems to reveal that there is something going on inside of us that we rarely give attention to. There's something distinct from just my heart beating, just my lungs breathing air, just my mind thinking. And this thing is called a soul. And I understand why we have trouble understanding the soul, it's for very good reason. It's because we look at our lives, we live in a culture where our outer lives are very visible and our inner lives are completely invisible, which is why we call them our inner lives, right? We have an outer life, right? We have a life that's lived outside. And by the way, the body and the spirit, people can actually see that. But the soul is a part of our inner life and people don't see our inner life. There's no experience with that. And so our outer life, what's it composed of? What's composed of all of our achievements, all of our accomplishments? It's composed of all the things that define us. Um, It's what people see, the things that we do, the things that we wear, the things that we say, the the places that we go. Our outer life is this observable, visible thing that people can see very easily. The soul is a part of the inner life, and nobody can see that because of where it is. This, This is why this is so complicated, Because there's no opportunity for you to walk up to me and say, hey, Brad, your soul looks like it's put on a little weight. (laughs) Right? You you can walk up to me. Actually, don't walk up to me. Let my wife walk up to me and say, it looks like you've put on a little weight. Are you working out? And it's very observable. And Okay, yeah, you know what? I'm not. I probably need to make some changes and do some things. There's no realm where that exists for our soul. No one can ever assess your soul by simply looking at you. It is unobservable. The soul, the inner life, it holds your hopes, and it holds your dreams, and it holds your secrets, and it holds the things that nobody is going to know. It's those things that no one will ever see. In fact, it's that part of you that nobody is ever going to celebrate. Nobody's ever gotten a raise at work because they took really good care of their soul. Like, good job with soul care. You got a raise this month. Said no boss ever, Right? In fact, we give accolades for the outer life. We give accolades for what's visible. Because the inner life is unseen, there's no celebration for it. And because there's no celebration of what's going on in our inner life, there's no reward, then there's less attention given to it. And slowly over time, our attention to our soul fades, and we become fragmented We're so focused on spirit. We're so focused on body because that's what can be observed that we forget about our souls and it becomes the thing that we neglect. And yet the soul, your soul, is what correlates all the other parts of who you are. The soul is what integrates the various aspects of what you do and who you are and how all these things fit together. The soul is what sort of connects the dots and pulls all the strings and and connects them. It's like the operating system of your life. And yet we allow it to go unattended. I think that's why so many humans get drawn to Psalm 23. I think that's why it's such a famous psalm, because Psalm 23 seems to capture something like we're identifying with. Like, you read it, and you're like, oh, man, that sounds really, really good, right? Look at, look at it again with me here. In verse 1, it says, "'The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing.'" He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He leads me by quiet waters. Um, The Hebrew word is the word mayim. Mayim, um, I I love the translation in the NIV because it says quiet waters, not still waters. Some translations translate mayim still waters. That sounds like stagnant water. And I'm not sure God drags us towards stagnant water, Right? Mayim actually is describing a contrast. Mayim is describing, there's two different kinds of water, right? There's water, there's like the oceans that are crashing. There are rivers that are raging. And then you have small streams and you have creeks and you have babbling brooks. And you know the difference that when you, when you listen to that slow stream of water, there's this thing that happens in your soul. That is the Mayim. The Mayim is, is describing the difference, if you will, between this. You have this. You have this raging water, you have turmoil, you have shakenness, you have all of this. And then the mayim is that. It's the calm. It's the stillness. And what the psalmist is pointing out is that there are times in life where for us... It looks like this. Life is being stirred and tossed and there's raging rivers around us and crashing oceans. And then the Lord takes us by the Mayim. And there's a stillness. And there's something that happens in our soul. There's something that He does in the innermost part of our being. He's connecting this. Some of us, we're living like this. We're living this life. It's all on the outward and the thing we're longing for the most is that just something calm, something peaceful. This is what God does. This is what he takes care of. God refreshes our souls. He takes all these components of our lives, all of our hopes and all of our dreams, our desolations, our disappointments. He takes all of these things and in all of their fragmentation. He brings them together and then he breathes life. And he allows them to bloom and he allows them to blossom. He allows them to be what they were intended to be. By the way, who could use a little of this right now? See, if you feel like you're in a place where you've forgotten what it feels like to be human, if you're in a place where you feel like you're just going through the motions and you're numb and you're just like punching the ticket, you're punching the time clock, you're just ticking off time, if you've gotten to this place where where you don't feel human anymore, what, what the psalmist is saying is that the Lord restores your humanity through your soul by reintegrating everything in your life. He brings you back to this place and reminds you that you were created in his image and that you matter. He restores you. That's what he does. In fact, let me just, let me explain something. That when the psalmist wrote this, He wrote it with an understanding of what it means to be human that is advanced from what we understand today. And I know this is fairly unusual. Most of the time, we don't look back 2,000 years. We have this sort of bias. We think because we've been on this planet a couple thousand more years that somehow we're smarter and we're we're less primitive. The reality is the psalmist is writing from a less primitive perspective than the one that you and I operate with in our culture today. Let me just explain this. Um, because he thinks about what it means to be human in very different ways. For the Hebrews, there was no delineation between what was spiritual and what was non-spiritual. There's no, in fact, there's no vocabulary for it. In our culture, um, we tend to think around like a spiritual life and spiritual activities like this. Being here on a Sunday morning, you would say, well, we're nurturing our spiritual life. We're, we're engaging in some sort of spiritual activity. And then we have the rest of our life, the, the non-spiritual. And we would say, like, this is like getting lattes and going to basketball games and showing up at work on time and, you know, hanging out in your neighborhood. That's this thing over here. That's the way we tend to think about our life. There is the spiritual and there is then the non-spiritual. But for the Hebrew mind, the Hebrew thinking, there was no separation in this. In fact, there is no vocabulary for spiritual in the Hebrew language. There's no line. There's no delineation. Because to call one thing spiritual means you're calling another thing non-spiritual. And what the Hebrews understood was all of it matters. All of it is spiritual. See, we tend to think, well, I'm going to hang out over here and do all this stuff right. And if I, if I kind of do this thing in the spiritual well enough, then when I go back over here, maybe things will just be a little bit better. And so we go back and forth between these places. But the Hebrew says, no, no, take that dividing wall down and understand that everything is spiritual. Everything is included. It all is a part of your soul. Your soul is involved in all of this, connecting all of it together. That's what they understood. Let me just give you an example of how connected these things are. Um, the The human body is designed to take six breaths every minute. That's the optimal operating number of breaths for a human body. Did you know that? Six breaths a minute. Americans, on average, we take 20 breaths a minute. Some of us should be taking the stairs at work a little bit more. I get that. But I just want you to do something with me, and I want you just to just experience something right now. I want you to just kind of relax a little bit. And this, this is me saying relax a little bit. For some of you, is the, it's going to cause you to get all anxious and weird. So don't do that. Just relax for a moment. And, and, you know, there's two different kinds of breathing. There's this sort of short breathing we do in our upper chest, and then there's like that belly breathing, you know, where you just like, you take it in. In just a second, I'm just going to ask you just to take a nice, just slow breath in. Just breathe in, and let it out. Just real quick, just join me in this. Just take a real nice breath in. Just, just relax. Breathe in. Let it out. I just relax a little bit. I just want you to do it again. Just take a nice, deep, just long, deep breath. Do you feel your soul kind of loosening up just a little bit? Anybody feel that? You feel something like it's just me? Anybody feel that? Anybody feel you feel yourself kind of relax a little bit? You go, you ever notice like when, you know, something's spinning out of control, maybe it's a relationship, a situation, maybe it's a conversation, you find yourself saying something like, I just need to get a breath. I just need to breathe for a minute. Why do we say that? Because something as simple and biological as our breathing is connected. There is no delineation. It is all a part of this. What Jesus is trying to, open our eyes to is the reality that our soul, if we lose our soul, what good is the rest of it? Are we aware? Are we understanding? Are we doing anything to nurture this? It's all connected and God cares about all of it. Why? Because he cares about you. He wants you to live. He wants you to make this music with your life, not just understand things about it, but to actually live in it, to to enjoy it, to participate in what God created you for. This is why for me, I return to Matthew 11 a lot um, because it's something that I need to hear over and over again. But listen to this, just listen to this one. Matthew 11 verse 28. Jesus says, "Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your what? Your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Easy and light are soul words like still, like quiet waters, like Ma'im. If your life is anything other than that, this is what Jesus is saying. If your life is burdened, if your life is heavy, if your soul is fragmented and weighed down, it is time for you to be led by quiet waters, and to allow God to address your soul. Amen? So that's what God has for you. And for the next few weeks, we're going to spend some time just talking about how do we care for our souls? How do we identify? How do we assess? How do we actually lean in and do those things that bring us to this place where we can actually be whole beings? Because all that other stuff, yes, it matters but it matters only in relationship to the health of our soul. It all starts with the soul. Amen? Would you stand with me? I'm going to pray, and then uh, we're going to just close with a short chorus, and then I'm going to come up and we'll offer the benediction. So would you just pray with me right now? Lord, this morning, I just want to thank you for giving us the space to just be. um, It's so easy for us to drag this hurry to-do list oriented culture that we live in into this space and to not pause and listen for what you're saying to us. And Lord, I, I just feel like there's probably more than me in the room that can see that there's some fragmentation, there's some soul care that needs to happen in my life and in in our lives. And Lord, I pray that this time together would be an eye-opening, awakening moment when we would realize that we could check off the biggest list in the world and we could gain the world. But if we don't care for our souls, it's all in vain. Help us to see that, to know it, and to experience your refreshing. In Jesus' name amen. But as you leave today, let me just offer this benediction to you. May your fast breathing, fast moving, fast heart rate life slow down enough that you can hear and see what the Lord is speaking to you about your soul. And may you listen long enough that you experience the mayim, the quiet waters that he longs to restore you with. In the name of Jesus, amen.